Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. This podcast is an experiment in philosophical conversation, intended to inspire hope and inspiration in your creative pursuits. Follow along as I interview creatives from all backgrounds and walks of life. Listen while you work, listen while you create, listen while you dream up your next breakthrough idea. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, or craft, whatever that looks like. Now, let's dive into this concept we call creativity. Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is Dr. Joan Maloof. She is amazing. She is the founder of the Old Growth Forest Network. She's also written a handful of books. She's an authority in the space of old growth forests. And if you love trees the way I love trees, uh, you're really going to enjoy this episode. We get into all sorts of different topics from the scientific to the esoteric and kind of everything in between. So dive into this one. It's a really good time and share it with all your friends. The forests cannot speak for themselves, my friends. Only we can do that. So share it out, subscribe, let me know what you think. Send me a message on Instagram and uh, yeah, without further ado, Dr. Joan Maloof. Welcome everybody to the Art and Life podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. And today with me is a very special person. This is Joan Maloof. Uh, Joan, thanks for being on the podcast. Hi, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Uh, yeah, you're, you're a very special person. You've, uh, you've done some really amazing things that I'm excited for you to, uh, you know, enlighten my listeners about. So um, why don't you start with who you are, where you're from, how you got to here and what you do. That's a lot. <laughs> um, I think I'll start with what I'm doing right now and then kind of work, fill in backwards from that. Um, right now, I run an organization that I founded called the Old Growth Forest Network. And what we do is preserve the last of the remaining ancient forests in the U.S. and speak out to preserve more old forests for the future. And I also am a writer. I just finished my fifth book. And those books, as you might imagine, are about trees and my travels in the forests. And um, how I got there was I was born just with an affinity for plants. And I know you know at least one other person that's like that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Your bride, and practically, and yep. um, and that um, affinity for plants just grew, and I ended up studying plants and going to university for them, ended up actually with a PhD in ecology and taught at a university for many years, taught people biology and environmental studies and did scientific research. 
But along the way, I always had this um, creative streak, and I always liked to write as well. So I started um, writing about the forests, and that's what got me to change my track from teaching at a university to running a nonprofit to save the forests. Wow. <laughs> so. Nice. And so then... And just for the listeners' uh, information, this is a fun interview because I am parked on the side of uh, the I-80 freeway in in Wyoming. And uh, and and tell tell them where you are. I'm in Maryland. I'm in Berlin, Maryland, which is near Assateague Island, where the wild ponies roam on the beaches. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then, where are you from originally? Delaware. Okay. So I'm not too far from where I um, was born, although I have traveled all around the country, both um, for fun and for research and now for visiting the forests. And I sometimes guess that I've seen more old growth forests in this country than anyone else alive today. <laughs> Nice. Because I roam widely to do that and find these back little corners. So I have been out in the countryside where you are, too, looking at the big old trees. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us what exactly an old growth forest is? An old growth forest is one that has never been cut, basically. And so what it's doing, it's been formed completely by nature. So by the weather, by the other species there, just by luck. And in those spots, in those forests, we can see how nature operates when we're not a dominant influence. Um, now, sometimes if you've cut a forest in the East many hundreds of years ago, that forest has been able to begin its recovery and sometimes feels like an old growth forest again or has a lot of those characteristics of a forest that's never been cut. So we also call those old growth forests. And so, um, I mean, I'm just assuming and guessing here, but are, like, are the characteristics of an old growth forest like um, the like the small, tiny things that grow on the things that are way bigger that mm -hmm. uh, like everything needs time to, to develop. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just like the micro that extends out from the, the macro. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. So um, one of my books is called nature's temples. And in that book, that's where I'm describing all those, tiny little fungi and snails and beetles that um, mosses that would be very difficult for the average person to recognize. But the fact that, yes, they do develop and grow over time. So the forests that are left completely alone will have the most biodiversity of those species, even if, you know, only the rare experts can tell them apart. Um, but still, that's gives us an example of what nature is like when she's left alone. She's so bounteous in this way. But um, it's hard to see that when you walk through a forest. So I look for 
other things that are easier to see and it'll be different depending on where you are, what forest you are. So many of us have had the great good fortune of being in a old growth redwood forest in California. And we can see these, all oh, these tall, these giant trees. You know, you definitely know that this forest is different than other forests you've been in. But in the East Coast, it's different because we have different species and the individual trees don't live so long. So there I look for other things. Um, certainly the size, but the size isn't dramatic. It's more, you can tell by looking in the canopy and the trees branch differently. They're thicker branches, almost like antlers, but fewer of them. And I noticed that there's a lot of different species all mixed together. I'll also find trees that got big and old and fell over. So they're rotting. So that means it's been left alone. Not had a lot of machinery in there. So there's different subtle clues that you can look for depending on what type of forest that you're in. Mm. So, so I, at this point, I'm able to walk into a forest and just have some idea, be able to guess at the age or, you know, know if it's a special old forest. Like right now in Maryland, there's a forest that is marked for logging. And it's not a, what we used to call virgin forest, you know, old growth that's never been touched, but it's uh, secondary old growth. So it probably hasn't been cut in well over a hundred years. And so all those characteristics are developing. And so, you know, I go in there and I see this beautiful old forest and I try to um, speak for preserving it, even if it's not all the way there yet. You can see that it's really, you know, it's a hundred years into it. Let's let it keep going. Yeah. Give it another hundred years and it's there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how widespread are these old growth forests in like say the U S well, they are very rare. Unfortunately, there's um, only 1% left in the East of the forests that we have not cut. And some of those are very difficult to get to because they're, you know, maybe in the heart of the Adirondacks where you'd have to hike days or canoe to, or the same thing in the Smokies, you know, 50 miles in <laughs> on a trail or, and um, so the average person in order to get to one of these old growth forests, it can be difficult to see. Now in the Western U.S., there's 5% left. And the reason for that is because the whole conservation movement, by the time they had really cut down 99% of the East Coast forest and 95% of the West Coast forest, some of us woke up and stood up and said, okay, let's save what's left. So yeah, 95% of the old growth redwood forests are gone. And what we have left is just that 5% from people that um, spoke out to preserve it. So I formed the organization to make sure that any old growth that's left, you know, can still be protected because even um, every decade, you know, before this, we lost more and more of these forests. So I feel like we should turn that around and have more old growth forests instead of less. 
Yeah, I'm definitely with you. Um, wow, there, like, <laughs> there's so much to talk about, I feel like, with uh, with the concept. And it's just so interesting that people, that so many people don't see a value, uh, haven't seen a value in it. And like when I see the photos of the old redwoods that they cut down, you know, all the black and white photos from the late 1800s, um, it's like sickening to me really that like those like giant goliaths of trees uh were just like chopped down you know and commodified i feel you i feel you and i think most people do so then we have to ask well what happened there you know that those people either didn't feel that or felt that they didn't have enough power not to do it so that's kind of what we look at too with the old growth forest network right we're not just creating this network of forests that won't be logged again that anyone can go into but we're also helping to create a generation of people that really care about these forests and will stand up to protect them because i i say you know just protecting the forest won't do any good by itself we also need the forest protectors yep. to go on. Absolutely. Um, and did, did a lot of that protection start happening in like the seventies? Is that right? Well, you know, it's been happening all along. There's been people that really care about the environment and spoke out for it, you know, since the beginning of time, I think, but our culture in particular and others too have um, somehow silenced those voices to the point where we see the destruction that's happened on our planet now you know all the all the roads all the forests that have been taken down all the um mining that's not good for the planet so it seems like those voices for the planet and the humans have been in the minority. So we want to change that. Right. I, I keep feeling like there's a lot of people out there that care so much and that, you know, we can be the majority. (laughs) We can have a voice in healing this planet. And even if we can't, that's the premise that I want to work from. You know, I love having that, that hope and that vision yeah absolutely i mean otherwise it's all lost (laughs) yeah Um, and you can we can only hope that you know more and more people will wake up right yeah totally and uh i mean that like the success of your foundation really helps uh helps that it helps spread the word Mm -hmm. and, and spread the love for it and like um the awareness and I feel that the books have really helped with that, too, a lot. Like, especially my first book, Teaching the Trees. People have said to me after they read that, that they see forests differently. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, that's what I want. You know, I've heard stories. People say, oh, I look at this forest. It just looks green to me. That's all. You know, they have no idea the different species and things that live there. And then they read Teaching the Trees and it's like, oh, you know, it's a living entity. It's a woven cloth of things, of relationships uh, merging with each other. So that's 
one way the writing has been very good. And I wrote that book before I even started the Old Growth Forest Network. And in that first book, uh, Teaching the Trees, I had a chapter called Old Growth Air, where I went to visit an old growth forest nearby Maryland and how the air <laughs> just felt so different in there to me. And, you know, it's so real but because you're breathing in that air, right? It's going into your body. It's circulated by your heart. You know, it's going to your brain and there's compounds in that air that we don't even understand. So, um, Many people were fascinated by that, not only the forest bathing air, the Shinrin-yoku, but the fact that old growth forests might have something different in there that I realized I had to write a book just about the old growth forests and visiting them and where people could go to see them and get to them. So I wrote a book called Among the Ancients about visiting the old growth forests in the eastern U.S. And it was really on those journeys, going to all those forests, that I realized we needed to protect what was left. Mm. That's where I got the call. <laughs> so the books have really made a difference there in building the community of people that care about forests and educating them. Now, this, uh, this question might sound kind of funny to some listeners um I'm, i want to dive into the the esoteric side of things a little bit more um i mean you talked about the feeling of the air in an old growth forest like what is what is the energy like in one of these mm -hmm. places what does it feel like when you mm -hmm. close your eyes and you just be there yeah the energy is different definitely and um for me, it brings over a joyful feeling, you know, so I'm hiking in a forest that's like this one I'm trying to preserve. And all of a sudden, you know, my step is a little bit lighter. I'm a little bouncy and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it looks beautiful to me. So you're walking along, you're joyful, you're beautiful. It's like, why shouldn't we want to preserve that? Why shouldn't everybody be able to experience that? And if then I go into a forest like that that has been cut down, it feels so sorrowful to me. And it just, uh, I just feel like every living thing that was there, if they're still alive, they're in grief, they might be dead. And, um, you know, I not completely airy fairy, you know, I know we grow wood and use wood. I'm, sitting at a wood desk looking at a wood wall but I think there's a way to grow that commodity that doesn't mean we have to destroy all these beautiful ancient forests that are full of biodiversity absolutely yeah like find a I, and I talked to I interviewed Frank Goldbeck uh, a couple mm -hmm. interviews ago and um, we were just talking about the concept of um, rewilding or like separating like human the human world from the wild world and protecting mm -hmm. the wild world and just how important it is and like we don't we don't need to take over every single square inch of everything 
and right. use everything. And yeah, we can, we can find ways to have our society work and then also have nature exist in mm-hmm. its like pristine, untouched form. And that's the big question, you know, do we really have the capacity to do that, you know, to leave some alone? And um, that's where you need hope, too. And you just have to believe that we can. And, you know, so that's where I'm trying to push my weight against that rock. Right. (laughs) Yes, let's leave some. It's so beautiful. And it's also self-serving in a way it's not like we're giving it up because those places are our health you know they're our joy um so you know it's not like we're sacrificing anything we get something when we save these places right Mm -hmm. it's so interesting that we have to convince so many people that (laughs) of the value of the natural world yeah why is that (laughs) i don't know um but um yeah another question okay so (laughs) the whole west is on fire right now um Mm -hmm. it's it's so wild and i've i grew up in colorado going to the high country and i've been watching progressively throughout my life i've been watching the forest go gray like the mountain, the the trees mm-hmm. in the mountains are all dying from the pine beetle. Right. And it's, I mean, from what I've heard and learned and, and yeah, seen, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's that temperatures aren't getting cold enough, a- enough anymore in the wintertime to sustain like a, a freeze to kill off the mm-hmm. pine beetle. And so then they're like, just the forests are graying out. And then now like, Colorado's totally on fire. California's totally on fire. Um, I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts on everything? Well, there's this the the little picture and the big picture. <laughs> um, the little picture is devastating. You know, I have a friend whose house just burned to ashes and um, one of the forests in the old growth forest network, big basin, you know, a lot of the trees have burned there, the over hundred year old visitor center. So on that small basis, it, it's really, really disturbing and really sad, but on the larger picture of the planet. And if you can really think in deep time, the climate has always been changing across this planet, you know, not as quickly as it is right now, but living things have always moved across it. You know, the pine trees have moved over here and then they're somewhere else, you know, and these animals are here and now they've moved the other place. But when we have more natural land, there's places where nature can move to for the climate conditions. And um, so if you know, we had more um, wild nature, I would feel better that, oh, those forests in Colorado, yeah, that part of the globe is warming. And, but, but now they're going to be able to move, let's say, up the mountainside, or there'll be some other valley that they'll live in where they're more adapted to for that climate. But now the other valley might have a highway through it, you know, and shopping centers on either side. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really 
a sad and devastating situation right now. But we just have to concentrate on the forest still standing and what um, what's happening there and the joy we can get there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so switching gears to your, your writing, um, what kind of writing are you inspired to do from from Forrest? Is it all um, like nonfiction or do you ever, is there ever any like poetry or anything like funky and weird? Mm-hmm. Um, so the first book, Teaching the Trees, does have a lot of poetry in it and it's like Rilke and Rumi and some of the Japanese poets and that was because a lot of the things I wanted to say were with such deep emotion (laughs) that um, poetry was the thing that could express that the best Um, and then I've gotten interestingly a little bit progressively away from that. So when I wrote Among the Ancients, where I visited the Eastern Old Growth Forest, I kept waiting for that artistic piece, some poet or something to speak to me to weave into it. And it really didn't. So it's more just like a travelogue through these forests and how I was feeling. And then Nature's Temples, I call that my sciencey book. That's the one I was telling you about with all the little <laughs> all the little creatures in it. And the coffee table book, The Living Forest, that I got more artistic there again like thinking about like how a tree sees right because leaves are covered with these cells that are sensitive to the light right (laughs) photosynthesis and they know what wavelengths are coming in and they know what angle those wavelengths are coming in and they know how long the day is so you know, I, I kind of let myself be freer there and imagining what the world would look like to a tree, <laughs> different stories like that. But um, the one that's at the press right now, I, I jokingly call it a bathroom book. It's called Treepedia. It's just fun little facts about trees and tree people and forests and these, these little bite-sized segments. And now I want to, um, and I'm, I'm in the gestation phase. I'm sure you know what that's like. <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> Where I would, um, I have a more creative, more personal um, project in mind that's probably going to take a number of years. <laughs> but I'm just like letting that bubble right now. <laughs> it's getting awesome. like rich gravy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. What uh. What does your general process of writing look like? Well, um, I pretty much haven't had any trouble. When I sit down to write, I can write. <laughs> and um, then I pay attention to the lines, like my poetry experience brings to me. And then I like to have those pauses where a different part of your brain or psyche takes over and tells you how to say something in a new way or brings some new analogy together. And that's the magic. That's really fun. And then I will at some point go back and edit rather lightly, maybe two or maybe three times. Um, And 
that's kind of my process. <laughs> I, um, yeah, just keep on moving through like that. And being a student all those years has helped me with that, you know, all that edu higher education, you know, the BS and the MS and the PhD, you know, just focus, get your work done, sit down, <laughs> persevere, but, um, allow space for the magic. Do you, are you like a burst type writer or are you uh, like over time, you know, an hour, that sort of a thing? Um, it's really hard to say. I don't have a general pattern, but um, so my, pro my book Treepedia, I had just entered into a contract to do that. And that was one that it was really the press's idea. They came to me. They said, oh, we, we want a book like this. And we think you're the person to write it. And it's the only time I've ever taken on somebody else's project like that. And I thought, but that's the only direction they gave. They didn't give me any topics or anything like that. Just, you know, these small tidbits. And I thought, yeah, I can do that. And it'll get me writing again. And um, it, it was the perfect covid project <laughs> because every day i would just sit down and, and write another topic and um i just worked like that every day on the writing and i really thought oh this will get me writing again and then i'll keep going but interestingly um i turned in that manuscript in june and it's now the end of august and i haven't really written anything else yet other than all the letters <laughs> for my organization and and fact sheets and talking about how to save a forest but as far as another book I haven't started that yet so I to answer your question I guess I'm a hybrid between the burst of every day mm -hmm. do you feel like you're uh well I guess for me like as an artist there's commission custom pieces and then there's like I, I call them like soul art um mm -hmm. and I'm I'm definitely passionate about making the commissions the custom pieces as great as I possibly can I take them on and I like they become mine but mm -hmm. there's they're not like they're it's not the same as the soul work where there's like right. just this like intrinsic fire that's that comes along with it Mm -hmm. do, you, mm -hmm. do you feel like something I mean it sounds like that one was kind of a commission piece in like in my frame of reference mm -hmm. and, uh, yes do you feel like maybe that like and after I do a custom piece or a commission piece it does it exhausts me in a little bit of a different way like uh -huh. do you feel like that's going on yes definitely so this did have the more the flavor of a commission piece a wonderful flavor you know yep. I knew for a sure thing it was going to be published and it was a great opportunity but it was you know they already had the title and the size and there's another book called Fungipedia that was somewhat of a model for me so yes in that way it was a structure that came from somebody else. And it really did feel different to me. It was the only time I'd done any book length like that. And I thought, oh, you know, why did I say I would do this? But then everybody that's 
And I didn't think it was that good at first, but everybody else that's read it says, oh, this is great. It's going to be fabulous. People are going to love this. So I just have to trust what the press and the reviewers had to say about it. But it does feel different to me. And um, yeah, I look forward to getting back into the soul writing more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like what you got mm-hmm. on deck is, uh, is just mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Nice. Hmm. Yeah. Trees, um, trees are so cool. And the more I've been learning about, um, the way that a forest is set up and, and the way that the mycelial network underneath, yes, um, works together in concert and then like trees communicate with each other through the mycelial networks and then like transfer um like energy or um not energy but like needed nutrients yeah Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you want to you want to geek out on that sort of a thing for a minute (laughs) yeah um mainly what i want to say about that is that information in addition to being very special very cool is very new Right. So we we've only known this in about the last 15 years. So before this, we would go into a forest, you know, thinking we knew everything about it. And, you know, the foresters would say, oh, yeah, we can take out half the trees here and it won't hurt this forest at all. Well, that's all they knew. So now we know, oh, my gosh, you know, all the other trees in that forest are going to feel the loss of even a one if you take it out because they're connected underground and they're sharing resources and they're sharing messages. It's this whole other ecosystem under there. So I say, what else do we have no idea about? You know, yeah. if we just learn that, there's going to be so many other things that we're going to learn about the forest in the future so we have to leave some of these so we can have a place to even study so we can learn these things so yeah absolutely like Mm -hmm. what are we going to learn in 20 years (laughs) and right if there's no forest to learn it about then that's a big problem yeah Mm -hmm. what else well you you were asking about energy and you wanted to get like esoteric. I was like, well, just think if we get to a place where we can measure energy frequencies that um, can affect the human body. I mean, we know that they do. And there's some sensitive people that can detect that. What if we could actually measure it with an instrument and we measure it and we find out, oh, the highest energy of any place on the planet is in an old growth forest. <laughs> you know, then these will be um, places that we would hopefully revere even more and protect. But that's the example of the kind of information we could learn in the future that we have no idea of now. Yeah, totally. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned Haley earlier. She's got mm-hmm. um, uh, tons of books. You've seen them. And uh, one of them that she's been really into recently talks about, um, I don't know what it's called, Secret Life of Plants, maybe, something like that. But um, about the energetics of plants. And they've been, like, they can hook up sensors to plants and, connect, like, measure their mm-hmm. energetic frequencies. And they... Uh, the frequencies change like when you walk when when the owner walks into the room or when the person that waters the plants regularly walks into the room 
or mm. if somebody goes and like burns a leaf of one um mm-hmm. the frequency of another plant next to it will get all weird when that person walks into the room it's like there's communication on on levels that we have no idea about and mm-hmm. uh and it sounds weird and funky when you just think about it cuz it's like humans have always just looked at trees and been like oh cool i can use that for like building my house or whatever and um mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people that have connected with trees also, but there's a lot of people who um, just see it as a value commodity. Um, Right. Now, that book, um, The Secret Life of Plants, I have to tell you, since I am a scientist, I need to speak up for (laughs) the scientific truth. And a lot of those experiments in that book were dubious i'll put it that way um you know they weren't done with controls or they didn't have replicates and all that sort of thing so it was a very popular book because we intuitively feel this you know that plants have this energetic response so people are like yes but from the scientific community they're like oh this is just a bunch of crap and so what happened then was the scientists for a while wouldn't go near any sort of research about plant sensitivity or energetics because it had this kind of a tainted (laughs) reputation to it through that book. But then now eventually, finally, decades after that book is over, people are jumping back into that again and, and studying it again. And you're, you're right in a way, uh, there are uh, sensitivities that plants have that um, we are just learning about. I'll put it that way. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's cool to hear too, because mm-hmm. um, yeah, there are a lot of claims that are in there and there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that's wild. And mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like the way that scientific discovery and like uh, things are the way it always goes is there it's pushed really far Uh maybe into the like a little too far into the realm where like it it doesn't it's not grounded and then all the scientists you know take it apart and if it's replicable then that's when they start to build the concept Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. funny because a lot of people don't even know that about science that (laughs) it's not one person who says hey this is the, the deal and then everyone's like oh cool well they're a scientist so obviously this is truth one person tries it, makes a hypothesis, makes a statement, and then every other scientist on the planet in that field tries to take it apart. And if it doesn't, if it holds water, then it's good. Mm-hmm. Or build upon it. And um, yeah, it's, there's no one truth in science. It's always a continually building and changing. So um, yeah, so I just had, I didn't want to geek out on you there, but I just had to speak you know, for the scientists, no. which I am one. That's uh-huh. no, that's great. I love it. Um, Cause I mean, you know, I live in Southern California. We run <laughs> with some, uh, you know, pretty heady individuals and there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of things that get thrown around. Um, and yeah, it's uh-huh. good to stay grounded <laughs> with it. all. <also. laughs> and um, some of it's probably true and some of it isn't. So we'll leave that there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the, the line of truth is, is constantly like moving and changing. And like, um, that's another thing that I think a lot of people get 
frustrated with science that it's um, things will be learned and, and they'll be like, this is the scientific truth of the day. And then time goes by and then it gets adjusted. So then uh, some people don't like have a belief in science because they say mm-hmm. it's always changing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's the way that progress and growth um, works. And so I guess with that, you, you have to take, you have to take kind of everything with a grain of salt and mm-hmm. lean into it in whatever way you want. <laughs> and does it describe nature in a way? That's what it comes down to. You know, does it, how does it do it, you know, describing and predicting our physical world? <laughs> yeah. What the forests look like. So, yeah. Nice. Um, okay, so now we're going to jump into the part of the podcast where I ask you some questions. Um, so my first question for you is, if you could go back and talk to little young Joan, maybe like, you know, sometime in your teenage years, and you could give yourself advice, what would that be? I would tell little Joni... Um that she was unique and special and to just go for it, (laughs) not to hide her glory that everyone has that glory and um, just, yeah, uh, shine a light, the light that is hers. And I would also tell her not to work so hard, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a, I was raised with a uh, strong work ethic. You know, you get this job when you're young and then at least in the next job and this next most important job. And I was one of those that never took a summer off. And now I look back and I think, wow, why were you working so hard? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe next time I won't. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I... I feel like it's really good to have a balance of everything. I I like to work really hard and I also like to play hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I probably could, I I might be on the play hard uh, side of things (laughs) a little bit, a little bit heavier over there, but um, do you feel like uh, you were like held back or held down in your life from outside forces, from expressing yourself, like from being the full version of yourself? Only because I didn't have any role models of people that were really doing that in my life, you know, that I was very close to. I couldn't say, oh, there's, you know, a wild woman. (laughs) You can do that. You know, you can be like her. Um, Everybody was um, more subdued or self-centered or however you would want to express that. And so... I was for a while when I was young, that age, wondering, like, where do I fit in? I'm, you know, it just felt awkward for me. I, I didn't really know who I was. And so age has brought that to me that I know that, like all of us, I have a unique flame inside of me. And um, that's fine. And that's good. And you don't have to worry about who you are because you are that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I like it. (laughs) 
Um, okay, next question. Um, what what do you want to see come to reality in say five years from now? And this can be you can answer this on a personal level or on a global level or some combination or, or both. Uh, since my mission right now is building the old growth forest network, which is one forest in each county of the U.S., it's protected from logging, open to the public, and accessible. It would be so awesome if that network were completed in five years, wouldn't it? Yeah. Every county of the U.S. where forests can grow would have one of these forests in the network, and that means that people everywhere would know where these old forests are and could visit them and appreciate them. Um, so I think that's good enough. That's a combination of personal and altruistic global vision. Yeah. What well, would those be like, would it look like a park? Would they be like a park where you could, you know, people could pull up in the parking lot and then go for a hike on a trail or yeah that's pretty much what they are okay um that's what we look for places like that where they're relatively accessible you know people can drive through and you put on your hiking boots and there's a trail and you start walking and you're like oh my god look at this forest it's so beautiful these trees are so big i feel so happy breathing this air and seeing these animals and uh that's what we'd like to bring everywhere but of course there are many counties that have no land protected from logging whatsoever so it's a big mission to um we're starting with more or less the um, easier ones the forests that are already protected in many cases or forests that we've helped to get protect but then as we go go along it's going to get more and more challenging so we're going to need that community of people who want to work with us to love the forest and speak out for it mm, nice. <laughs> um all right well that, that sounds really great i'd love to see that um now yeah another question for you is what is the most influential piece of media that you've experienced anytime recently and this can be a book or a poem or a podcast or an album or a song mm -hmm. or anything. I am really into the podcast called Buddha at the gas pump mm. because he is interviewing ordinary people that are awakening. And so people are talking about really deep spiritual awakenings and you know some of them are part of religion any kind of religion you could think of and some of them are just um you know doing their own thing and i love when i drive especially listening to that because i don't listen to any news <laughs> and i would much rather think about these deep experiences that people are having and that we can have Mm. Oh yeah, sounds great. <laughs> uh, okay. I've gotten a few people hooked on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna check it out. I'm always looking for new podcasts. Uh, um, and uh, okay, so then here's my last question for you: What is your definition of art? I would say 
art is like the icing is the way I think of it. You know, like you can build a piece of furniture that'll hold you up, but then if you, you know, hand carve a scroll into the back, you know, you go that little extra beyond that. I look at that as art and, and art is also an attitude. It's not just a thing that's created. Mm-hmm. It's um, something and the creations like an artist that goes to make a creation. I think what they're going for is creating emotion really. And so that's a, definition of art for me too is something that can bring about emotion in us no matter what that emotion is Uh, yeah and the art art can do that yeah totally And, and like there's artists of all kinds and what they're doing is creating uh or eliciting responses within within somebody else Right. And yeah, that, that like, it, it's kind of like a form of magic because it's from one mind through the form of art, whatever it is, uh, and then gets picked up by another mind. Yeah. And so you're kind of like guessing what will move another because it moves you. Yeah. And then you get that right. Like you hear somebody telling you that, oh, that, certain thing you put in your pa- your painting was so beautiful it really touched me and you're like oh yeah you can remember back to when you decided to put that in your painting and thinking somebody might enjoy it so right yeah it's so fun and it's cool because it's kind of in that way it's sort of like a bookmark in time and space mm-hmm. um, because yeah like I can remember when I did every drawing and painting that I've ever done and I've done so many, but that, and I, as soon as I see it, I, I'm taken right back to it. And uh, yeah, it's cool. It's almost like a bridge through time and space. Yeah, that's remarkable. Enjoy your paintings. <laughs> Thank you. Um, in terms of uh, art and creativity, like how does it relate to forests, old growth, old growth forests, trees, nature? There are a lot of artists that are inspired by forests and they will use their medium there whether it's painting or sculpture or photography i know a lot of great photographers who enjoy photographing forests so it's a subject for them and Also, in a way, forests can refresh us so we can start over. You know, you kind of did one long project or a painting or I, you know, finished a book or wrote a paper and then maybe take a trip to see a forest or go on a camping trip and spend time. And that time in the forest can be like a reset. It's bigger than you, (laughs) more than it shows you that there's a different scale happening in the world and then you're ready for the next thing it's like next palette (laughs) totally and it's uh 
it's so it's right now you mm-hmm. know in, in terms of being present and uh being focused on on the right thing it's like i mean there is evidence of the past if you look at like rings of a tree or a downed tree there, there's there is evidence but it's also it's happening right now the wind through the trees exactly um, the yeah. angle of the light which yeah. birds are calling and it can never be the same twice so it's always got that interest it's always different right it's so cool and uh, there's no better place to meditate and mm-hmm. like the I mean, the basic basics of meditation as I know it is um, being here now. And it's like now is just like constantly happening and evolving and changing. And, uh, and the forest can be a reflection of where you are coming from and where you are in your mental health and your mental growth too. Because if you walk through forest and just like rah, 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 not see any of the beauty you know just grumbling or swatting mosquitoes or something and then there could be another person that's in that same forest that's enraptured by it so we get to look at our own responses too and it's a good place for that nice <laughs> <laughs> oh well this has been awesome. I, I want to say thank you for being on the podcast because it's always a pleasure talking to you and it's so awesome what you're doing and the trees can't speak for themselves. Uh, the mm-hmm. forest can't talk for themselves and they need, and the way that people will save things is if they're aware of them and you are just putting out book after book about like all the ways to love forests and trees and it's so important and um yeah it's just really amazing watching you do what you do and 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 i'm proud of you joan (laughs) (laughs) thank you taylor it's really good to talk to you and have this conversation with you and um, i hope you have safe journey through the mountains there and i look forward to seeing you next time i'm in california definitely Now, uh, where can people connect with the Old Fro- old Growth Forest Network and you and, and whoever, wherever, where do you want people to go? Well, the, the website for the Old Growth Forest Network is oldgrowthforest.net. And that's where people can find the 106 forests that are already in the Old Growth Forest Network and exactly how to get there and learn more about the organization. There's also email address for me there. So if somebody had wanted to have a more extended conversation with me, they're welcome to email me. And that's joan at oldgrowthforest.net. We're also on the usual, you know, the, all the usual stuff, the Facebook and the Insta and the website. But those are the best ways to do it, to go to the Old Growth Forest Network website. And um, email me if you need to know more. Awesome. Well, that sounds good. Um, do you uh, do you have any last bits of wisdom for the people? Nothing in particular. Just um, reach out and support the good stuff that's happening. Whether it's the diversity or the community gardens or the forests, and you can either support it with your energy or you can also support it with your 
dollars because I wouldn't be able to do what I do for the forest if I didn't have people believing in it and, and supporting the work. So whatever, whichever direction you want to see in the world and things that you want to see happen, um, yeah, support that in any way you can. Beautiful. Thanks. All right, Joan. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Happy trails. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So that, my friends, was Joan Maloof of the Old Growth Forest Network. Definitely reach out, check out the website, support in any way that you can. These forests are gems that we still have. And if we don't protect them, they won't be there. So, uh, yeah, jump on board. Follow, support, do your thing. Um, yeah, again... This is a blast. I'm, I'm loving these podcasts. I hope that you are too. Let me know what you're doing that's creative. Reach out to me on Instagram. I am at Taylor G Murals. Say hi. Show me what you got going. And I hope that this is inspiring for you. That's the intention. Take this inspiration. Take this expertise and knowledge from all these amazing people and infuse it into your own work, whatever that is. And on that note, go get creative. Cheers.